Welcome to Sermons from San Diego, a podcast of preaching at Mission Hills United Church of Christ. I'm the Reverend Dr. David Barr, but please just call me David. I'd invite you to listen along and come with us as we try to follow the teachings of Jesus to build a world that is more open, inclusive, just, and compassionate. And now for this week's sermon. When we talk about the history of the United Church of Christ, we often speak of the UCC as having four streams that merged into two that eventually became one river. And in this first stream were churches from the congregational tradition. That's us, Mission Hills. Congregational churches, some of them are older than the United States itself. The Church of the Pilgrimage in Plymouth, Mass. celebrated its 400th anniversary in October. And so, yes, among our congregational ancestors were the pilgrims and Puritans, a fact upon which some people look with pride, some with hesitation, and some with scorn, but it is our heritage. The first wave of them were seeking religious freedom, freedom from religious persecution, but sadly they went on to do some religious persecuting of their own. Our family closet has a lot in it. But my point for today is the primary concern of congregationalists wasn't about beliefs, which were quite diverse, but for the congregation to have its own authority. Now, there were two streams involving German immigrants in two different waves. The first wave in the 1700s were from from the Reformed tradition. They centered around Philadelphia and beyond, and they were fleeing war and poverty. Now, the second wave came in about the mid to late 1800s and were centered mostly around St. Louis and beyond. They were also fleeing war and poverty. Now, this second group were known as evangelicals. They are not the small e evangelicals of today, not the moral majority type at all. In fact, they were very broad-minded for their day. Evangelicals back in Germany were a a middle way between a rigid doctrine and secular rationalism. Their motto was in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, diversity. In all things, charity. So these reformed immigrants and the evangelical immigrants found commonality, and they joined together to form one stream known as the Evangelical and Reformed Church. It's a very innovative name, I understand. Don't you agree? But you know what? This group, for their size, they founded more human service and healthcare institutions in the United States than any other religious group per capita, including the largest hospital systems in Chicago and St. Louis. So the fourth stream. They were a group known only as Christians, made up of a group of former Baptists in New England who believed in universal salvation, which is no hell. And among them were some of the earliest women preachers in America, including Nancy Gove in the 1820s. There was also a group of former Methodists in Virginia who wanted to be free of authoritarianism by bishops, and also a group of former Presbyterians in Kentucky who embraced frontier revivals. This disparate group, disparate group, wanted nothing of denominationalism. But they united around some common principles, which they later realized, if 
you're going to get some things done, you need a structure. And so they became a denomination, but only called themselves Christian churches. They found commonality and joined together and formed one stream. They found commonality with congregational churches and formed one stream known as the, another imaginative name, Congregational Christian Churches. So there you have the four streams that became two, that became known as the one United Church of Christ in 1957. And the motto at our founding was that they may all be one. But there was one more group that they didn't quite know what to do with because they didn't quite fit this narrative, so they were ignored, which is the charitable view. The group was black, so you might say they were dismissed, but whatever you might say, at the founding of the UCC, they were absent. The Afro-Christian Convention, or Connection, centered in the Tidewater region of Virginia and North Carolina, was lumped together with the Christian churches. But they are distinctly different. These churches were not centered in whiteness. They weren't founded by white people. They weren't offshoots of white churches. They aren't people who left from the balconies of white churches. No, instead, immediately after the Civil War, these people who had been enslaved and still practiced aspects of religious tradition passed down from their descendants in Africa, started their own churches and created their own structure of cooperation and fellowship, and even a college. If you have an image of all UCC churches worship in relatively the same way, for example, singing hymns and listening quietly to prepared sermons, well, churches from the Afro-Christian tradition are lively and free-spirited with African rhythms and influences. And the absence of these members at the founding of the UCC, the absence of their story and the telling of our history as four streams, was confessed at last summer's General Synod, along with an official apology and a commitment to their inclusion in the teaching of our history as the rightful fifth stream in the UCC. You know, I've taught UCC history at the seminary in Denver for 10 years, and I always included their story as a hidden history, but not with the perspective of the Afro-Christian connection as a fully equal part of our history. And that, for all of us who teach history and polity, now changes. You know, African Americans have always been part of the history of the congregational tr tradition, but frankly, more often as the subjects of mission rather than the agents <clears throat> of mission. Upon becoming a Congregationalist, black members in black churches were expected to adopt a white style of worship, Yankee New England, singing European songs and a theology shaped by Europeans and addressing issues of interest to Europeans, not those living in the reality of a Jim Crow world, subject to lynching and excluded from decision-making in our society. White churches may have talked about these issues on occasion, but not in a way that reflected the daily lived experience of racism. When the Congregational Christian Churches were founded in 1931, black Congregationalists and Afro-Christians came together, but struggled to find common ground because their styles of worship and 
points of view around European theology were vastly different from one another. Plus, black congregationalists were often very well educated and the upper crust of the black community. Afro-Christians were not, which led to some marginalization. But slowly and deliberately, the two groups nurtured a relationship of family and common purpose that was, unfortunately and ironically, interrupted by the formation of the UCC. Because in the new UCC, churches would be integrated into geographical conferences. Integrated, which of course only seems right, but that meant they were isolated from one another, which further led to their marginalization. You know, it, it seems impossible to think that a denomination that talks a lot about racial justice failed to talk with and include its own black members. Impossible, but yet so common we didn't even notice it. Or at least the we who represent the dominant majority who either intentionally or unintentionally set and maintain the expectation of what it means to be the UCC. But that's changing. Did you know one of the fastest growing groups in the UCC, and yes, there are areas of growth, they're congregations of black LGBTQ Pentecostalists. Now, it makes sense that they would be welcomed into the UCC, but is the UCC ready to be welcomed into them? Not for them to change to fit us, but for us to fit to change, for us to change to fit them. And of course, get rid of this whole us and them altogether. But what I want to say is, you know, we kind of have a model to do that. And it's straight out of the Afro-Christian tradition. It's known as the five principles. Here they are. So first, Jesus Christ is the only head of the church. Now, what does that mean? Well, the head of the church is not a pope or a bishop and not even the people. Christ alone is the head. And one of my favorite lines is the laywoman who told her pastor, you know, Jesus is the head of this church, pastor, not you. So second, Christian is a sufficient name of the church. They resisted the labels and names like Presbyterian or Methodist or Congregational. No sectarian divides, they preached. So we had first, we had Jesus as the only head of the church. And then Christian is a sufficient name of the church. The third is that the Holy Bible is a sufficient rule for faith and practice, which means no creeds, no indoctrination, just the Bible. But they were not literalists. They had women preachers because they saw evidence of it in the Bible. Literalists would say women should be silent in the church. The fourth is Christian character is a sufficient test for church membership and fellowship. Which is to say, membership is, about, is not about being able to recite a creed or answer specific questions about doctrine. The only thing asked is to live a Christian life. I suppose they still needed some way to talk about what that meant, but not something that easily excluded people for having the wrong beliefs. So again, Jesus Christ, only head of the church. Christian is a sufficient name of the church. The Holy Bible is a sufficient rule for faith and practice. Christian character 
is a sufficient test for church membership. And fifth, this is a big one, the right of private judgment and the liberty of conscience are rights and are privileges accorded to all. Again, a big one. People have a right to decide for themselves what to believe. They affirmed our own consciences as valid interpretations of belief, not what some outside authority told you to believe. Can you imagine how absolutely radical that would have been in the 1800s? But you know what? How absolutely unacceptably radical that would be in some churches even today. But this is what Afro-Christians who were shaped and formed by African religious practices found in common with Baptists who didn't believe in hell and Methodists who resisted authoritarianism and Presbyterians who believed in the validity of personal conversion. And this is how we were able to come together as the UCC, even if their story has until now been ignored. So thinking about your own faith story, how do these statements, these five principles, sit with you? What do you think? There's that first one, Jesus is the only head of the church. Does that differ from how you were raised? And two, Christian is a sufficient name. Think about the names of all the denominations you may have belonged to, maybe Catholic or Episcopal or Methodist. Do we need these labels, even UCC? I mean, does anyone outside our churches care at all about this? The third, the Bible is a sufficient rule for faith and practice. Well, were you raised in a tradition of creeds and doctrines? Number four, Christian character is enough to join a church. Now, that could be a tricky one, because what if a church decided that something about you was not Christian enough, but their concern was really with creeds and doctrines? And fifth, private judgment and the right to follow your conscience. Does that sound like what you grew up with? And does it describe who you are now? Because if it does, you might be UCC. So here's to our fifth stream. We've got a lot of stories to learn and tell.